Good evening. Thank you for coming. I was thinking tonight we could study up on Jiva Goswami's Bhagavat Sandarbha. And we are discussing the Lord's senses. We have senses, and he also has senses. Although, if we look at the Brahman conception of the Absolute, their conception is the Lord has no senses. It's certainly a transcendental perspective, but it's not one that encompasses the complete whole. It rather just focuses on the Lord as that spiritual presence that pervades everything without personality. Vananti tat tatva vidas tatvam yaj janamadvayam prameti paramatmeti bhagavaniti subjute. Various transcendentalists, they view this non dual absolute variously according to their angles of vision, according to their worship. Uh, they develop a certain taste for spirituality. Therefore, their perspective of the Absolute, their perspectives of the Absolute are not always uh, the same. Of course, we think we're unique because we embrace an, a vision of the Absolute Truth that encompasses His all-pervasive aspect, that there is spirit spirit underlying everything and it also encompasses his his dominion over all that be so we believe that the supreme pervades everything but he does so consciously brahmati he pervades everything paramatmati he presides over everything. He has dominion over his various energies that we experience and that we ourselves are a part of. And Bhagavan Iti Samjate. We take the the very topmost presentation from the scriptures, from Vedic knowledge and we embrace that also, that God has a life of his own. Our life, of course, is dependent on his, but he's so fully independent that he's referred to as Bhagavan. Bhagavan being one that has unlimited potencies, and specifically six primary potencies. He's the wealthiest person, he owns it all. Wealth, he's the strongest person. He holds everything up. There's an old song, he's got the whole world in his hands. <laughs> so we embrace that philosophy. Wealth, strength, fame. There's Even it, amongst the atheistic class of men, everybody knows God. They may not believe in him, but they're aware that most people do. I hope they would see that more they're in the minority, but they may not even perceive that. But 
if there's any beauty that we see around us, we know that there must be somebody even more beautiful who is the artist behind it. And knowledge, we all seek knowledge. And we don't seek just any knowledge, we seek a truthful representation of what is knowable. We really don't want to be cheated. And generally we are very disheartened when we find out that we have been, that we've been sold a, a bill of goods, that the, really there's, there's no property on the other end of the deed. We're not very happy. So we do want to have knowledge, but we want to have a truthful representation of knowledge which is not which is not overpowered by some mundane attribute of self aggrandizement or well, knowledge can be misrepresented in so many ways, but the basic point is we're not looking to be cheated in the world and we don't don't think very kindly upon those that take advantage of us in perhaps our naivety in different fields of knowledge. And renounced. The Lord is ultimately, fully, totally renounced. Although he's the creator of the world, he's not bound by what transpires in the world. That doesn't mean he doesn't have an interest. It doesn't mean that he's heartless. It just means that he sees things as they are, as we're going to see in this evening's class if we get that far. Compared to spiritual existence, what is offered in the material world is at most a crude facsimile of transcendence. Wealth, strength, fame, beauty, knowledge, and renunciation. Six major qualities that we see as fully manifest in transcendence. Most manifest in the personal conception of the Absolute. Which, to our understanding of what the Shastras are presenting, what the sages are presenting through their writings what the sages have experienced through their revelation and chosen to share with us because really experience of transcendence is difficult until until you actually experience it to understand fully what transcendental revelation is like it's beyond so far beyond that it's difficult for us. So this personal conception of the Absolute, we like that. We accept that. And we can, through our line of understanding, substantiate this personal conception of the Absolute as the supreme independent entity. Um, we can substantiate that through the visions of all these sages. The, the majority have arrived at this conclusion, and specifically the specific majority as presented in, in, in the Bhagavatam. And we accept this one scripture as the primary praman. 
So we're talking about knowledge. We don't like to be cheated. We want real knowledge. And that's where the Sandarvists begin, right there. Jiva first says, if you want knowledge, let's take a look at knowledge. How can, you, how can we acquire knowledge? He says, well, the, the first place we look to knowledge is, is empiric knowledge. That's what we're accustomed to. We see something, we hear something, we smell, we taste, we touch, we acquire knowledge. Those are our knowledge-acquiring senses. But he points out they're not perfect. They're not perfect. It would be nice if they're perfect, but I can see, I can see pretty well, and now I don't see as well as I just did, but but I can't see as well as an eagle. I have, there's limits on my seeing. There's limits on my smelling. I can smell, but I can't smell as, as well as uh, most of the animal kingdom. Certainly can't smell as, as well as a big floppy-eared dog. Bloodhound. Certainly can't smell as, as well as he can. You can't dangle a piece of cloth in front of me with the scent of a human and say, go find him. I... <laughs> But I can smell to some extent. And if we look at the mind, which is like the central gathering house of all this empiric knowledge that comes into me through my senses, sometimes the filters are working properly and sometimes the filters are not working properly. And sometimes, and most of the time, my method of filtration, which lets me arrive at a conclusion, differs from those around me. It's not the same. Well, then how reliable is sense perception? If we're looking for real knowledge, pure knowledge, unadulterated knowledge, how much can we rely on our mind and senses? So Jiva Goswami starting out there. and we, As long as we come back to this central point, which is the Sandarbha's theme throughout, it is based upon Shastra, which is the revelation of those who have gained mastery of the senses, mastery of the mind, and gone beyond that to perceive full knowledge beyond what's available to us through our senses. And we're allowed immediate entrance there just by taking advantage of, of their revelations as they have explained them to us. So transcendent knowledge comes down to us from the Lord himself. We accept the fact that the Lord provided a material world and he provided a handbook. He didn't just, here, go on your own. He, he gave some direction and we accept that. And his direction is, is in the Upanishads, in the Shruti. And then we have those sages who have, who have themselves come to realization. And through their realizations and deep contemplations of what words have been given by the Supreme himself, they've came up, they've developed a whole storehouse of transcendental knowledge for us. 
So we're delving into that transcendental knowledge, and we're we're trying to understand things as they are through the eyes of those that have the best vision. And as we continue to hear, our whole nature changes just by that hearing. Our senses that were perceiving things gradually become spiritualized. What we mean by that, it's been laid out very nicely by the acharyas, by the gurus, by the teachers within our line that there's a gradual progress in spiritual revelation. And it begins at the stage of Vajana Kriya, that means we engage in bhajan. What's that mean? Generally, it means that we we apply ourselves to the acquisition of spiritual knowledge. We hear, and we not only hear, we chant to purify our consciousness. So the prayers of Lord Chaitanya, Chaito, Dharma, Namarjanam, this clears the mind. So in the very beginning of spiritual life, when one seriously takes to spiritual, the culture of spiritual life under good direction, the beginning is two, has two characteristics, Kleshagna and Subhada. Kleshagna means that all the impediments created by the mind and senses the material mind and senses are gradually cleared. So, ignorance, attachment, aversion, fear of death. So these things gradually abate. Gradually. That's a key word. We'll just leave it at that. There's some out there that... So many different things there. Ideas are there, but we're talking about a true, honest knowledge. Again, let's go back to honesty, integrity. It's easy to go out and buy a glass ring that looks like a diamond, and it doesn't cost a lot. With an eye, and, and somebody that doesn't know what is really a diamond is going to have a hard time not get, getting cheated. We have, to eat, we have to find somebody we can trust, a good jeweler who's a friend who we know is not going to cheat us, or we have to develop through him. He could say, well, these are the characteristics. When you're looking at, this, at a diamond, you're gonna, certain things are going to jump out at you. That's, there's a difference between glass and a diamond. A diamond will scratch glass. Glass won't scratch a diamond, and the diamond has fat, will certainly refracts light in a particular way. So, in the beginning, these two characteristics are there Kleshugna, the Kleshas, the bodily attachments gradually are slackened. And this continues as we make spiritual advancement. And Subhadha just by being in a truly spiritual atmosphere, 
we begin to feel our true spiritual nature in good association. We hear the it, it, we we can when you're when you're being nourished spiritually, you know it. It's like a it's like if you're a hungry man and you go and you're fed, you know immediately with every bite the hunger dissipates. You become more and more satisfied, and you relish the taste. So we can test these things ourselves. We should we should test and be confident. Now, of course, in the beginning, we're coming to spiritual life generally from different degrees of, of a de- disease condition. There's one nice analogy there that we can look at, contemplate, and, and make sure that we're seeing things in proper perspective. The taste of spiritual relish may not be on our tongue immediately. It's just like there's a disease, jaundice. And if you have this disease, then when you taste, when you eat sugar, it doesn't taste sweet. In fact, it tastes bitter. But everybody knows sugar is sweet. But if you have the disease, jaundice, you take sugar, and guess what the cure for jaundice is? Sugar. So you take more and more sugar, and gradually it starts to taste like what everybody else tastes as sugar. So spiritual life can be like that in the very, 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 very beginning. We may not have the taste immediately, but... In that situation, we have to rely on, on our good intelligence and, and perception of those that we can see that have a taste. We can perceive people that have a nice taste for spiritual life. And that should be impetus enough for us to push on. I may not be able to taste yet, but boy, I can see this person or that person or these people are, they have a real relish for this. They, they, they've, they've walked out of life for this. They've walked away from home for this. A little introduction. Now let's go on and talk about the Lord's transcendental senses. We touched upon the fact that they're different from our senses in the last discussion. So we'll continue with Anacheta 48. This is from Jeeva's Anacheta. You, on the other hand, referring to you, that supreme you, you, on the other hand, are the supreme self dwelling in the interiority of each and every individual self, being unattached to the individual senses. So Jeeva's pointing out whether the supreme is within each of us, but the supreme's he has nothing to do with our senses. He doesn't need senses. He's fully cognizant of everything, so he doesn't need to have eyes to see or ears to hear. He, f- everything's, it's all his. Being unattached, he's unattached to our senses. He's not attached as we are. 
When we wreck our car, he doesn't get upset. Being unattached to the individual senses, you are independent of them. This is because you are swarot. Self-luminous by the potency inherent in your own essential being. Fully, he's fully self-satisfied. Self-luminous. Everything's coming from him. Everything resides in him. He, he, he's not dependent on anything. Although he does subordinate himself to some things. So the Shrutis say that he is a karana. He doesn't have those tools. The senses are karana. They're a tool separate from the utilizer of the tool. We have senses that are tools. And we can use them. We can use our eyes to see. If you pluck someone's eyes out, they cannot see. If you plug their ears, they won't hear. So these are tools for us, but they're separate from the self. There's no separation for the Lord. He's a karna. He doesn't have senses. We are sakarna. The agent's existence, this could be referring to us, the agent's existence, ourselves, is not dependent on the senses. You can take your senses away and you will continue to exist. I can pluck out your eyes and you will continue to live. So, that's what's being said here. Whereas the senses exist only to be utilized by the agent. The senses are our tools. Moreover, the senses cannot act independently as they require an agent to direct and energize them in order to function. The senses are really just matter. It's like a car. If no one gets behind the wheel, puts gas in the tank, and drives it, it's not going anywhere. So similarly, our senses are not... If you take the soul away from the body, all the senses that it had immediately turn off. When someone dies... They're not seeing anymore. They're not hearing. They're not smelling. They're not tasting. They're not touching. They're not going to walk away, walk anywhere. They're not going to gr grasp anything. So these senses of, of acquiring knowledge, five, and working senses, the arms, the legs, the tongue, the mouth, to chew. We have to chew to have food. We have to evacuate. And we reproduce. So we have five working senses and five knowledge-acquiring senses. But the senses also cannot act independently. They need to have an agent. In the case of an ordinary jiva, that would be me. You guys are all extraordinary. But ordinary jiva like me. The senses form part of the subtle body. They are material. But the Atma invests consciousness in them. The senses are part of the material body, the subtle body. They are material, but the Atma invests consciousness in them. We put our mind and invest it in the senses, and the senses become activated. The living being in the conditioned state, in the material existence, is fully dependent on his material senses. Well, that makes sense. 
take them away and take away the eyes and you're not going to find yourself find your way around and take away the ear and you're not going to be able to hear and go down the full list and you take them all away and there's not much much functioning for us in the material world without these senses we're fully dependent on them for their part however the senses depend not only on the atma present presence in the physical body but also on the controlling deities so we go come back to the controlling deity of the senses the eyes are great but take away the sun and they cannot see we can get a little glimpse into the senses of the supreme by a prayer sung by Lord Brahma. Ajnani yasya sakalendriya vitrimanti pasyanti panti kalayanti chiram jaganti ananda chinmaya sad ujvala vigrahasya govindam adipurusham tamaham bhajami. I worship Govinda, the primeval Lord, whose transcendental form is conscious, full of bliss, eternal, and self-luminous. Each of the limbs of his body can perform the function of any other sense organ. He thus eternally sees, maintains, and manifests the infinite universes, both spiritual and mundane. Brahma Samhita. The Anacheta goes on, uh, quoting the Tenth Canto, Srimad Bhagavatam, the personified Vedas. The very state that silent sages contemplate in their hearts after having regulated their vital force, minds, and senses through resolute yoga was attained even by your enemies simply through remembering you out of enmity. The cowherd women, gopis, who set their minds on your stout arms, which resemble the body of the king of snakes and who we and we who drink the nectar of your lotus feet also attain that state being equal in your eyes there's a lot in this that the vedas are telling us they're first saying that there's great sages out there that work really really hard to realize the absolute to have to, to have revelation of the absolute truth. They contemplate. They clear their senses, first of all, of any material involvement. They withdraw themselves from the world entirely. And they go into states of internal contemplation. And in that way, they're able to realize not only their true spiritual self, but also the Supreme Spirit Self. And the verse, the Vedas are saying in this verse, well, that's very nice, but guess what? Others who simply think of you, meaning thinking of God, with enmity, attain the very same thing. That's how powerful remembrance of you is. Who would want to become a sage when if you just simply can remember the Lord, you can attain the, the same revelation? That's what the Vedic song is saying here, singing. 
But we don't really want to have enmity towards God. But even if you do, you could get what the yogis get. But the better way to look at God, the verse goes on to say, is the way the gopis, his intimate lovers, look at him. And how do they look at him? I would really like to be on his arm. You know, like a woman takes the arm of a man. That's what I'd like. These are simple farm women. These are not sophisticated city folk. These are simply women of the woods. And all they want to do is grab onto Krishna's arm. This is the strongest, most beautiful, most wonderful person around. Who drink the nectar of your lotus feet also attain that state. They also attain the same state of spiritual perfection as those renunciates that give it all up. And they're all, all these are equal in your eyes. Some are more equal than others, but that's an esoteric subject we won't enter into right now. But it shows that the Lord is unattached. He's equally equally responsive to the yogi, to the enemy, and to the intimate lover. That's how equal posed God is. Ourselves, we have a hard time. If somebody attacks, we generally don't turn the other cheek. So he's, he's of a different... But he has nothing to gain. He already has everything, so there's not... As we go further, the more I study the Sandarbas and we talk about these Sandarbas, all these points come out regarding his character. It's really amazing how Jiva Goswami has milked the Bhagavatam of the essence of the of the topmost understanding of of the Supreme. We who are the teachers of the wise, the Vedas that are speaking now are the personified Vedas, meaning they're the scriptures, but they're also they also can manifest as individuals. As they're, they have full consciousness, and that's what we learn that the scripture itself is fully conscious, because it's a manifestation of the supreme. It's transcendental itself, just like the name of the Lord is fully transcendental and fully conscious and aware. So when we chant Krishna's name, he knows we're chanting. So that's why we, we it's good to chant with attention because then the two of us are, are in direct communication. If we're chanting and he's aware we're chanting, but we're not aware that he's aware that we're there, then it's, you can see it's a one-sided situation. So better that we're fully, fully tuned in when we chant. So these... Vedas are also, they can, they can manifest a form, and they did manifest a form during Krishna's appearance, and they did offer prayers directly to him. So that's what we're reading here from the 10th canto. We're teachers of the wise. We're the, we're the scriptures, and we teach even the wise. And we glorify you as our shelter. They're, they're praying directly to Krishna. Krishna's there receiving their prayers personally. Of course, he's personally everywhere, but he was 
he manifests himself in a way that they can actually experience him. Stating that you have supreme, transcendental, and extraordinary senses, yet you are without any senses, Akarana. How is that possible? You are Swarat, fully independent, which is to say that your senses are a unique, self-accomplished manifestation of the potency inherent in your own essential being, Swarup Shakti. Krishna's senses are transcendental and they're part of his very nature. They're not like ours. They, you can't separate them from him. We're separated from our senses in a gross way upon death. The body dies and we're separated from the senses. When we go through the cycle of life and we get another body, the senses become alive again. They do rest dormantly in the subtle body between one death and the next birth. Can you have the same senses, the same senses go again? Subtly, yes. The, the senses are not, they're dead. They're, you know, yeah. they're not spiritual, so you, I don't think you can really say the same senses go with you. You can't say that the same subtle ability for sense perception yeah. goes with you through false ego intelligence in the mind. So we have earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and false ego. When we leave the gross body, the mind, the intelligence, and the false ego carry with us. And guess what the mind brings with it? A hundred million impressions of lives that we've lived and things that we've done and all those coagulate to provide us with another body. Some of the things that we did may be bad impressions on the body we get, and some may be good. Sometimes we can be have got in with such a bad crowd in our last life that starting out in the next life, all the cards seem to be stacked against us materially. Spiritually, has no influence. But materially, we see some people are born into very excruciating circumstances and some people are born with a silver spoon in their mouth. For a spiritualist, he doesn't care how he's born. For a devotee, he doesn't care, he cares even less how he's born as long as he's born where there's an opportunity to continue his spiritual journey in good company. So we see Bhaktivinoda Thakur a couple generations back in spiritual teachers. He was, I don't care if I can be born as, as, as some rodent in the house of a devotee, I would be more than content with that. Brahma's saying, well, if I could be born as a plant in Braj and the dust from the feet of the devotees would simply come to me. I would be thrilled, and he would be thrilled because that's spiritual dust. It's We've heard of fairy dust. This is real fairy dust. It really has the effect of giving us a spiritual emotion coming from those devotees because it everything coming from them is so so supercharged with spiritual emotion.
Uddhava's like, well, I don't even qualify to be born in the Vraj, but if I could be a plant outside the Vraj, maybe the wind would carry some of that spiritual emotion to me and I could, I could experience it and therefore become attached to the Supreme. You exist, Rajar say, with senses that are a unique manifestation of your own Swarup. The implication is that because your senses are part of your own essential being, the term karana, senses, cannot be taken in the primary sense. So in the primary sense, karana means an, a, an instrument. And for an instrument to new, work, it has to have an agent. If you have a hammer, you need somebody, there has to be an agent. The hammer's got to be in someone's hand who can swing it. Otherwise, it's it's just of no value. The, the Vedas are saying here, if we see, if you see in the scriptures the word karna in relationship to the supreme, it can only be viewed in the secondary sense. And it goes on. Not in the primary sense as a tool. Otherwise, if you manifest yourself through something extraneous to yourself, how could you be called supremely independent or swarat? We see, and we'll see more of this as we go on in our study of the Siddharvas, that Jiva Goswami really is not only giving us the underlying spiritual concepts, the tattva, the truths of spirituality, but he's also teaching us how to assimilate scripture properly. Therefore, Sri Vyasadeva wrote in Brahma Sutra, also known as the Vedanta Sutra, if one objects that Brahman cannot be the creator because he is without sense organs, the response is that this argument has already been settled by scripture. In this sutra, from the Vedanta Sutra, they're talking about this particular little piece of code here from the Vedanta Sutra, the assertion, this argument has already been settled by scripture, is a reference to an earlier sutra. We already talked about this. Why are you bringing it up? We've already dealt with it. This is how we dealt with it. The Vedas say that the Lord is free from such defects and can be understood only by subda, or revealed sound. Subda Brahman, transcendental sound. Not only is everything that we see or experience here in transcendence, but what we see and experience here is a perverted reflection. Perverted meaning what? It's covered by matter. What's the nature of matter? It's dead. It's not alive. It's really foreign to us. Thus Vyas established that the Lord exists both with and without senses, according to the principle that objects beyond logic can be ascertained only through revelation. As the Sruti says, he has no material body or senses. Now, we should not think in hearing this statement, and this is an important point which we'll close with, we should not think that ourselves are not right now experiencing through hearing this revelation. We are hearing Subda Brahman. We are hearing transcendental sound vibration. 
we are becoming aware and be, it's being revealed to us. What more is a revelation than, a, than something being revealed? It's being revealed to us through Scripture that the Lord's senses are not material. We're, if we are recognizing that, if we're hearing with some discrimination what's being said here by Srila Jiva Goswami, then through Sabda, we're actually having the revelation that's being spoken of. The Lord is free of defects, and his senses are part of his intrinsic nature. They're not a karana. They're not karana. I didn't mean a karana. They are a karna for him. When we put an A in front of a word in Sanskrit, it has the opposite meaning. His senses are akarna, ours are karana. We do have senses which are separate tools which have been provided to us in the material tabernacle that we inhabit. There are spiritual counterparts of these senses which do not have the defects that we experience with our senses here. In the spiritual realm, we can see as well as the eagle when we can smell as well as the bloodhound because there's no impediments. There's no material impediment there. Right now, we're in an environment where we're encased in impediment. I'll stop there. Are there any questions? Yes. Um. Yeah. Okay. So, um, that's so that's what we're seeing here is the fact, first of all, what's being emphasized in the verse that's being used as evidence by Jiva Goswami. What was that from the 10th canto? Yes, it was a prayer by the personified Veda is what you're referring to, that verse. What's being emphasized in the context of the statement is the same acquisition through severe spiritual discipline of the yogi is equal to one who simply remembers the Lord. That's how powerful remembrance of the Lord is. That all that real heavy-duty spiritual, I mean, material discipline in yoga is equally the same benefit goes to somebody who simply can remember the Lord and even if they don't remember the Lord with a loving attitude. So that's what's being emphasized. So how much more the benefit of somebody who remembers with a loving attitude? So that's why we see that in the scripture when we hear of the Lord coming here to play and killing somebody that has enmity towards him in his play, they immediately retain liberation. And they didn't do anything except engage in his play. How much more 
is benefited by those that engage in his play lovingly, is the point. Putin is grateful. She tried to she tried to kill God with poison on her breast. She was acting like a mother. I mean, how atrocious is that? Krishna said, oh, well, you were in Yasoda's house. You were dressed like the gopis. You wanted to be my nurse. So you get the same benefit. Not quite the same benefit, but it's pretty amazing. Who could not love that kind of God is the point being made there. Who could not love a God who would benedict someone that much who really didn't have his best interest at heart at all but wanted to destroy him? It just goes to show Krishna's in a class of his own. No one's as classy as God, even when he's playing. That's how classy he is. He gives even those that hate him everything. What to speak of those that love him? He becomes sold. They own him. Their love possesses him. Everything he does is, is everything that we see, every universe that's made is just made out of love for those devotees that didn't finish. It's Everything is, is coming from his intense love. Does that answer your question? Anything else? I have a question. Yes. Um, you talk about um, people working on or building their spiritual life from a certain point or a certain level of consciousness. But aren't we all born with the spiritual connection to our higher power? And then you can grow it as you live, depending on how you live, through consequences and actions? Mm-hmm. But... For the soul, there's never birth nor death. So we've been at this material life a long, long time. And it's not fully true that when you come into this particular body, like now, that your level of spiritual awareness is equal to everyone else's. We've accumulated different karma and different spiritual we call it sukriti, pious credits, piety. Not everyone comes into the world with the same level of piety or the same level of impiety. Everybody comes with their own karma. That we we come carrying our own baggage. But everybody has the potential. Everybody has the potential. Absolutely, the potential's there, and the potential is nourished in a good environment, a good spiritual environment, but. If instead of taking advantage of a good spiritual environment, you, you in your life, choose to enter an environment of, of, of debauchery and you know the people you hang out with are not, not at all spiritually inclined, then you're not taking advantage of, of what's made available to you. And that may be somewhat dependent on the way you did or did not take advantage of it in the last life, in the life before that. So it's accumulation, both good and bad. We can't really say everybody's... Everybody has the same opportunity, as you said. That's there. But not everybody is so inclined to take advantage of the opportunity of the spiritual life that's afforded 
by especially a human existence as opposed to other forms of life, which also are equal to us. We do believe in evolution up to the point of a human being, but we also recognize that you can really not take advantage of human life to the extent that you lose it. And that we see in material nature, don't we? If I, th if I just put my arm up here and you come back in four months, I probably am not even going to be able to use it anymore. So use it or abuse it. So either we use our human life in a dignified, gentlemanly or womanly way, or we don't. And if we don't, we shouldn't accept the same result as those people that that have made some effort to cultivate their spiritual nature. Does that answer your question? Yes. Anything else? Thank you so much for your association. Thank you. Brother.